All right, good morning, everyone. Um, I would like to thank Stephen Lynn for inviting me to share with you this morning. I'm married to a wonderful lady sitting in front here. She's supported me through thick and thin, mostly thick. But um, <laughs> together we have two children, and um, we've been a part of this community for about two years, and I'd like to thank all of you for making us feel so welcome. So if you're looking for a title for today's talk, it's... Um, where is God in your story? But as before, we, before we delve into that, I'd like to start with three questions. Who is God? Where do you fit into his story? And where is he in your story? Um, I'd like you to watch a video and then we will continue.
lot of astronomy for a Sunday morning. <laughs> but I hope you found that incredible. <clears throat> See, when I watch that video, I'm reminded of King, King David's words. He said, the heavens proclaim the glory of the law of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. <coughs> See, like David, when I look up at the night sky, I am reminded of God's awesomeness. And for centuries, human beings have been captivated by the heavens or space. And in, in 1968, a group of astronauts were sent to the orbit of the moon for the very first time. And this was their view from there. These astronauts were so awestruck by that view that they decided to read Genesis 1, 1 to 10. And as they read it aloud, it was broadcasted to about 650 million people who were watching the event on live TV. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? I'll leave you to read the passage later. But the very first statement introduces God as our creator. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, in the Bible, the prophet Isaiah says this about the awesomeness of God. He asks, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? See, by any stretch of imagination, this God is incomprehensible. And something else the Bible stresses is that God didn't just create the universe and let it spin out of control. He continues to sustain the universe. In the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, the author says this, God the Father promised everything to the Son, as an inheritance. And through the sun, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. See, this speaks of a God who is in charge of the universe. There might be others out there who will try to suggest another explanation for the existence of the universe. But for me, the Bible answers three fundamental questions about the universe. And they are, who created the universe? God. Why did God create the universe? As an inheritance for his son. How did God create the universe? Through his son, Jesus, the word, who later took on flesh and lived among us in the first century. 
See, science at best will try to explain how the universe was created. But even then, we are left with such questions as, how can nothing create something from nothing? You may be wondering what all this has got to do with you, or me, or this learned gentleman up here. <laughs> now, if you're new to Ellsbury Vineyard, pink shirts are a thing here. <laughs> but anyway, I guess the question I'm trying to pose is this. Where do we fit into God's story of creation? I wonder how that video made you feel. I've, I've seen it a few times. And it makes me feel very small and very insignificant. I mean, the fact is, I am one of seven or eight billion people on this tiny planet in a vast universe. So looking at that alone, I am very small and very insignificant. However, the truth of who I am and truth of who you are is something altogether different. See, I brought with me a box of props here, and this is Donkey. I'm going somewhere with this, trust me. Um, donkey belongs to my three-year-old daughter, and she would give me a right old telling off if she knew I had borrowed it. See, the manufacturer of this cuddly toy made several thousand copies, but this one is very special because it belongs to my daughter. For a while, she wouldn't let Donkey out of her sight, and it went wherever she went. We had been late for appointments because she wouldn't leave the house without Donkey, and we couldn't find Donkey. To my knowledge, Donkey has only seen the inside of a washing machine once. <laughs> so for anyone else, this dirty, insignificant toy should be thrown into a bin. But for my daughter, this is a prized possession. You see, donkey's worth lies in the love my daughter has for it, not in its intrinsic value, because on its own, it's worthless. To God, you and I are like donkey. People might see you as nothing special, just another human being on the face of the planet. But to God, you are worth so much more. See, here are some of the things that God says about you and I. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. He says, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. Some translations say, anyone who harms you harms the apple of my eye. And yes, that's not an original with Hallmark. God also says this, I will never forget you. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Just as an aside, if there is anything that gives you greater sense of worth than being a child of God, you probably have an idol in your life. See, being a child of God should be our highest and most cherished identity. I love this from King David again. 
He says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. So where do we fit into God's story? We are God's prized possession. The overarching narrative of the Bible tells us that love for us compelled this awesome God to leave heaven, give up his divine privileges, and become a man like us. Though he was sinless and innocent, he suffered for a crime he did not commit and died disgracefully on a cross so that nothing, not even death, can separate us from him. See, in God's story, he's trying to win your love, he's trying to win my love so that we can spend eternity with him. So far, we have seen God as the awesome, all-powerful creator who created and continues to sustain the universe. We have seen that this God loves us very much. He has our names inscribed on the palm of his hand. And of all his creation, think of that video you've just seen, we are his prized possession. So I guess the next logical question is, does that change anything for you? Does it impact your life in any way? Where is God in your life story? Is he at the center, on the sidelines, or completely non-existent? You would think a God powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth would barge his way into your life, whether or not we want him. But our God is not that kind of God. The truth is that power, even when you are an all-powerful God, cannot compel a response of love. Only love can produce a response of love. So this God chooses to pursue us with love and then wait for our response. And what does that response look like? It is living in obedience to Jesus Christ because he said that those who love him will do as he says. As such, every moment of our lives comprises of making a decision to listen to Jesus or not to listen to Jesus. And when you boil life down, that's what it's down to, comes down to. <clears throat> One of my favorite pastimes with my son 
is to build Lego structures. Similar to um, the one that's just come up on the screen. Um, delve into my Bible props again. So it tends to come in a box and it will come with a set of instructions and a bag of Lego pieces. Now, imagine that I just gave my son the bag and he only had the bag, no instructions, no picture. And asked him to try and put the Lego pieces together to build the structure. He would struggle because he doesn't know what the structure is meant to look like. And it would not look anything like the picture on the box. Now imagine I give him the bag of Legos and I give him the box, but without the instructions. See, he would struggle to create that structure because without the instructions, he has no direction. Now imagine I give him the bag of Legos instructions and we have the picture on the box. And I sit down with him and I build a structure with him. There is a very good chance that it will end up looking like the picture on the box. So let's apply that analogy to our lives. Imagine your life is this bag of Legos. And God is the one who has designed the Lego pieces. And the specific picture on the box your life is meant to create. See, since God has given us free will, we have a choice to make whether we make him a part of our story or not. So you could try and build your own structure with the Legos that you have without the picture on the box and without the instructions. Like my son, it is unlikely that it would end up looking like the picture on the box. Yes, what you build might look very good, but it will not be as good as it can be. And that's because whatever we do with our lives, no matter what we achieve, will always fall short of what God can do with our lives. Alternatively, and Christians do this a lot, we can take our bag of Lego pieces to God. God then shows us the picture on the box. And we go, Okay, God, I've got it. I'll take it from here. And we push God to the sidelines. Again, without God's direction, without the instructions, we will struggle to create the picture on the box because we will invariably miss some steps along the way. See, often we come back to God frustrated, saying, it's not working, or I can't do it, or it's too hard and so on. If you find yourself here, is there a chance that you have gone ahead of God? See, even with a vision and purpose for your life, without instruction and guidance from God, you will struggle and most likely fail. Now, in the third scenario, you take your bag of Legos to God. He shows you the picture on the box. And instead of rushing ahead and doing it without him, you do what my son does. He says, Daddy, let's do it together. And instantly we become partners 
So two things happen as a result. First, we bond as we build a structure together. And second, the structure gets built. See, I think for God, the bonding is just as important as building the structure, if not more. I love the excitement on my son's face when he finishes building one part of the structure and he goes to me, okay, daddy, what's next? This is what a relationship with God should look like, where we lean on him for direction in every area of our lives. You see, as our creator, he knows exactly what the end product of your life should look like. He knows what your story should be because he intended it. And you know what? When God is in it, he creates a unique masterpiece, fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I'm taking that Lego analogy a little bit further. The kingdom of God is the grand masterpiece that God is building. The masterpieces of our lives are meant to fit into that structure. And it is the only structure that lasts forever. Anything we build without God will not fit into that structure. It will not fit into that grand masterpiece. So it ends up having a very limited shelf life. With this in mind, where is God in your story? Where is he in your relationships, in your work, in how you spend your time and how you spend your money? Is God in your story when times are good and when times are bad? What would the people closest to you say if I were to ask them, how important God is in your life. A masterpiece usually stands out. Does your life stand out? Is your life impacting the people around you for the kingdom of God? I ask myself these questions too. And sometimes I don't like the answers that I get because there have been times that I have pushed God to the sidelines. So I don't stand here today as someone who has figured life out. Rather, I stand as a pilgrim trying to keep God at the center of my story. See, usually there comes a point in life when our circumstances push us to decide where exactly we stand with God. For me, it was when my son was born seven years ago. I thought to myself, one day this child is going to ask me what I believe and why. It was at that point that I realized that I hadn't truly experienced God for myself. I was leaning on the experiences of others. I realized then that unless I knew and experienced God for myself, there is no way he could be the focal point of my life. 
In Psalm 34, King David challenges us. He says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, we cannot delegate the tasting to anyone else because our relationship with God is invariably dependent on our convictions of who he is. And our convictions are driven by our experiences. As I look back at my life, since my son was born, I can see that I am not the person I once was. My life hasn't become any easier, but it is more meaningful and more fruitful. I have seen God transform my life and use me to impact others. In the tough seasons, I have experienced God's timely encouragement and direction when I needed it. He has surrounded me with great relationships and opened doors that I never even considered. I stand here today with my own convictions that this God, the one we sang about earlier that we said was good, that he is definitely good. And I certainly want him at the very center of my life. Now, I don't know where this talk finds you today. It could be that you are busy trying to build your own Lego structure without God, without instructions. And you're struggling to find peace and fulfillment in life. It could be that you had a vision and a purpose from God, but you've run ahead of him and made a mess of that vision or of that purpose. And for some of us, having tried and failed to build our own Lego structure, we have turned to God and he's in the process of breaking down what we built. He's in the process of crushing what we built so that he can rebuild it into what he originally intended. I can certainly tell you that that process is painful, but it is also an amazing experience. I want to conclude today with something the Apostle Paul said as he reflected on his former life. He said this, I once thought these things, that's his former pursuits, says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead.
C.S. Lewis years ago once said this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So there is no middle ground with God. He is either in your story or he's not. So I ask again, where is God in your story? See, only you can answer that question. And I pray the Holy Spirit leads you to the right answer. God bless you.